The following program contains mature themes that may offend you and challenge you. As a result, you may paint an innumerable amount of Bristol boards, piss, and exhale fire, call for the host to be disemboweled in the village square, push for suppression, compelled speech, and an infinite number of deplatformings. Other listeners may experience the urge to laugh as we all hurl towards Armageddon, tolerate diversity of thought, control their childlike emotional impulses, stop taking everyone and everything so seriously. But either way, listener discretion is advised. This is Unmentionable, an unhealthy dose of realism with your host, Jordan Power. Welcome to Unmentionable Podcast. I'm Jordan Power. New episodes every Friday. If you want to join the Patreon, patreon.com slash unmentionable podcast. Coming up here is part two of my interview with Michael Emmett, the one and only. We talked about many things. Uh, life outside prison, sort of readjusting to society, what fuels a lot of the recidivism with inmates, self-concept, self-love, and that's all coming up on the program. If you didn't see part one, you got to go see it first. Yeah. I call, By the way, <laughs> I forgot to tell you this. Mm. We just keep this in. I called... Uh, I called Rogers the other day because something's really weird where when I call people, if they don't have me stored in their phone, it only puts the initials. J like JP. Mm. Yeah. JP. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm mute. Anyway, so I don't know what when that yeah. happened. I didn't ask for that to happen, but I don't know what yeah. was behind that, etc. Yeah. And so I call um I call Rogers, right? I'm I'm I was driving to my uh my vocal lessons with my uh <clears throat> with my vocal coach who's incredible but you know she really loves jesus so we yeah. can't break her heart by telling her i'm a heathen <laughs> um yeah and i call rogers and i guess they've had i don't know if they've had like pr backlash or something but when you call the customer support they proudly tell you that their employees are in canada because there was just such a period i guess where what? you were calling and it was going to india or yeah. other countries so they they probably say like, you know rogers is proud to announce that um our customer service reps are all located in Canada. But then I thought about the caveat once I got on the phone with the woman. Yeah, they're they're in Canada, but they've been there for about three days. <laughs> so is it is it even that different if they were living in India three weeks ago? <laughs> <laughs> She's literally I had to be What? <laughs> She's asking a question of, What? Yeah. What? <laughs> Like, is it better? It's the same thing. It's just, it's just semantics. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was just like, yeah, yeah I, I, I just, I was like, does it even matter at this point? And also, you know, I'm getting real accustomed to this AI world. Yeah. Because when I bought a United Airline ticket, I had to switch my flight. The AI solved the problem in about 25 seconds. Mm. Yeah, you know it's not bad, <clears throat> but it's also not fun anymore, right? Like you can like. Well, we'll be fun when you know people are uh, living on the streets and climbing through a McDonald's with a blowtorch. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe in providing people with jobs, but I'm just saying the AI gets really appealing at times. Yeah, 
I do think that I'll probably, because I find it hard to connect with a lot of men romantically and intellectually, I think probably I'll end up getting one of those AI boyfriends just on the weekends. <laughs> just someone to chat with. Like, it's not... It's not the work. It's sick, yeah. but it's not also like I, I, I'm not as scared of it, right? Because I thought well, it would be nice to have a nice conversation with something that understands me better than anyone else and, and is based on machine learning where it learns me. It knows what I'm into. It yeah. understands me better than anyone I've ever dated. Yeah, dude, that would be so fucking and incredible. And I just go, poo, yeah. when, I, when I've had enough. <laughs> you know that guy, Yoval Harari, the guy who wrote The Sapiens? He's going on like all of these like um, interviews and telling people how AI is bad for you. And the only like the biggest thing he's like uh, against is that AI is going to take our emotional lives because the thing you're saying, like, you know how it's appealing. It's it's actually like so deeply engraved in all of us to like have that connection. And social media just took that away from us, that human connection. So AI will like bring it back, but like not towards humans, but towards AI. And that's his, like, biggest concern for AI. Well, we're going to play something on the Patreon after the interview if you want to join us. And it's a, basically this new age marketing tactics. There was a video that someone found on the dark web about the way people are using dating apps to drive traffic to entertainment establishments like restaurants. It's pretty dark. Yeah. But we will get to that on the Patreon. Okay, so this is part two with Michael. And if you want to join us afterwards, patreon.com slash unmentionable podcast. Bye. So it's a ship. Your ship got busted, essentially? Yeah. And how, how did you hide boat. the marijuana in the ship? they done that. I didn't do that. And when we put it, we, they loaded it on. It, we, they went out fishing. And they caught loads of cod over the period of about a month and froze it. Uh. And it, they called my dad the codfather. Uh, and they had <laughs> the big fish barrels, the big yellow fish barrels. They put all the cannabis on the bottom, the ice. And I can tell you, it's come out in court. And they put the fish on top of it, and that's how they done it. But, um, but you know, they, they was on it. They watched the whole of it. It was, it was an informer. So, um, you know, it's pretty intense. So you were on the boat they when they busted you? Sorry? You were on the actual boat when they busted you? No, no. I got I got, I got, got busted about half an hour later oh, by, um, by 16 armed officers. And they... And, uh, they sentenced you for to twelve years in prison, twelve and a half years, and I got a three million pound fine. Um, the fine got sorted out, and um, that got reduced. Otherwise, we had to do. I think it was either three or six years for the money. Um, but the reason why there was lots of officers there because they arrested nineteen people. It was organised crime around the world, from America, Canada, uh, Europe. I don't, I don't know too much about it. It all come out in the newspapers. Um, and it came out of a, a bigger load out of a thing called a mothership. So they, they put up, I don't know the, the routes and all that. I wasn't privy to that. And so they, they, it came out of Pakistan. And um, it came, this is in the newspapers, so I'm not talking out of school. And, and then it gets shipped around the world. So it was organised crime at a high level. And we was at, we was at the towel end of it. We, our, our part was to get it into the UK. And did your father go to jail too? Yeah, yeah. So you guys were you guys we, in jail we together? 12, we was in the same cell to, oh dear. for two years together. <laughs> Bonding experience. <laughs>
Yeah, oh, Dave Farron song. It was bizarre. Go ahead. Uh, did did you did you was it a surprise when you got arrested or did you like feel it coming that day when you did get it? No, I I, I felt it. Oh, how? I, I felt it coming. I know you know it was a relief. You sort of know, you know your time's up. Mm. You know your time's up. But it was a part of me that thought, wow, you know, if I get away with this, it would have stopped there. You know, I, I had other plans. Were you a target in jail? Your your father's Sorry. were you a target in jail because you know your father son duo is, is does that create a target in any way? Or is it an <laughs> yeah, asset? you're targeted. But right. I think this was from a this was from another country. The um, the information I think they followed it from source. So they say, I don't know. Allegedly that they followed it from source and they watched it be disbanded from the mother ships into the smaller ships and then into other places around the world. They they nicked quite a lot. They arrested loads of people. They, they it was a, it was huge, and we was part of that. I didn't know the rest of the gang. I didn't know they were my part. I knew my part, and that's all I had to know. What are the sur- survival tactics you start adapting right at, as you get to jail? Survival tactics. It's like going into into a war. It's like going into you know if you if you're if you're signing up for a soldier you don't think oh I'm not going to be afraid and I'm going to put my gun on my right hand side you, you you react we're creatures of habit and I think when we're in an environment we weirdly there's something inside of us that that learns to survive you know there's a mechanism in, in us that we think oh I could never do that I, I know a guy he was the youngest man to, Bear Grylls, I don't know if you know him. Yeah. He was the youngest man to climb Mount Everest. And, and I often wondered, I thought, my God, it, it's it's what he done. He, 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 your environment's changing, you react, you respond. So when I walked into prison, you, you react, you respond, and, and your guard goes up, and and, and you've and you got survival skills anyway, because you, you're used to it, you know, you're used to it. And, and, and you just get on with it, and, and you nut down. And you get on with it. And, 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 and like I say, we're creatures of habit. Once you get used to something, we adhere to it. The most amazing man I thought that, that went into was uh, uh, Terry, what was his name? Terry Waits. And I, and I think he got, he went out to free some hostages. Um, I, I'm sure it might have been Gaddafi or one of them. And they kept him for five years. And he was six foot five, and they kept him on underneath, uh, you know, down in the tunnels. Uh, and his body didn't fit in some of the rooms. Uh, and he and he said, uh, he said, I adapted. Right. He wrote a book in his head. You know, we, we, it's amazing what we can do. You know, you get stuck. I stuck up in a mountain, uh, and and you're in trouble. Trust me, the senses of vibe have come upon you. I've just got over cancer, and, and I was told I had cancer a year ago what in the lungs. Uh, Lung cancer. Sorry. Lung cancer? You yeah, said? I did. Yeah, yeah. So I've just had treatment for it, and uh, but immediately I thought, no, I'm I'm going to adapt. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to get on with it. I've still got. I'm, I'm still in. I've still, I've got, still got to be careful, but um, you know, I, I, we we had a go and, and and we survived. Yeah, Jesus. When you when you get out of prison, I believe I read that you only did four years of the sentence. When you get out of the prison, you know. How do you start a new life? So it's day one. Well, you know, you don't exactly have a resume with a bunch of great job experience and a vast skill set that you can apply. How do you go about building your life, like rebuilding your life brick by brick? 
Well, I, don't, I, I just don't under, not that it matters, but I've done a bit more than four years, but, but I got the parole. So I, I was just under five years, I think. I don't know, whatever. And um, I came out. So it's not a long time, you know. I mean, fashions change and cars change and people grow up. But I come home to a family. I come home to a life that, you know, I had, I had a business. Um, but I work with people coming out of prison now. So I know the, I know how difficult it is. Uh, I work with, um, I have a charity, yeah, and we we introduce them to, uh, it's a, it's a workshop around scaffolding, uh, which they seem to like. They're tough boys, and it, and it gets some good money. They do a two day two day uh, workshop, and then they get put out there. But we have to mentor them, yeah. So we try and find them homes. They've come from broken families. So the majority of people who come out of prison normally go back quite quickly. But the do majority. You think, do you think that's yeah? What's behind the recidivism? Is it that they get out and don't have a foundation, or they're socially disconnected in a way, and they they actually almost miss the community of the prison in a way? Yeah, that, that, that that's part of it. That's part of it. They do miss that. Some people come out and go straight back in. Um, the long term is done. The long term is it's more like uh, business, you know monetary or murder but a lot of a lot of the long termers is monetary um so they've got a life out there maybe but on the whole the the prisoner who keeps coming in and coming out they could have foundations and they're driven by oh yeah when i go out i never do that again oh no i never say that again oh i never do that oh no no uh, and they're out a day and they're, once they're down the pub having a drink having a snort or they need money uh, and they're not consent, they're at it immediately. And, it, and it, it's a lot goes on in the UK prisons like that, which is quite sad, yeah? So you've got that criminal. I think there's a lot of mental health problems in prison. There's a lot of people in prison who shouldn't be in prison, yeah? Um, not because they haven't done any crime, because they should be getting help, you know? They should be getting help. But um, the majority of us who do long terms, a few of us go back, you know, I'm not saying there's a number of us who go back, but there's a lot who don't. And I think however they've done that, for me, was my family, my business, and my faith, to be honest with you. But it's, a lot of people do go back. How do you build a relationship with your children after everything? Um, for me, it was difficult. Uh, I didn't let them know that. Um, but for me, it was difficult because my youngest was... And I'd lived away from home for two years. So I wasn't really connected for about seven years. Yeah. When I saw them, I wasn't there. I'd split up with their mother. And um, my youngest was like sort of four. And when I reconnected with her, although I'd seen her and cuddled her and told her I love her, she was 11. My oldest was 15. The, the dad weren't dad. They, 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 they've got boyfriends. They, things have changed. And, and and although I skipped on and caught up, there were times I used to sit there and think, oh, I miss my little girls. Mm-hmm. You know, I miss my little girls. That's why two of my grandchildren have replaced that extremely well. I've got two granddaughters and, and six grands. I'm, I'm pleased I never had any sons. <laughs> why is that you think there'd be something ingrained in their dna you just don't want to yeah. see that play out yeah we yeah they, they would 100 <laughs> uh, percent. i've got four girls 
and I could look at the four of them and I know who had been the criminal if they were boys. One thousand percent. What what is 1, your one thousand percent you know, what is your view of you know, you're wise man, you're sixty three years old, you you're I'm 36 and I look at the current culture and uh, I can witness a level of decay in multiple ways. You know, we mentioned earlier the the fatherlessness and that how that leads to crime, illiteracy, stuff like that. Taking a 30,000 look foot view of society and everything, you know, and your street smarts and social intelligence. What is your view of society today? 2023. What is plaguing us? What are our problems? Uh, What are the things that you kind of notice just as just an older person looking at, say, people th- like this one here, <laughs> people in their 20s <laughs> looking at them. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, it just becomes this trite thing where it's like, oh, the, the younger generation, the younger generation. But I can even do it 10 years older than them. And I'm okay. wondering how you view the the social media culture, the, you know, the malignant narcissism, uh, just just your general view of it all. I would be really interested to hear. Okay, so I think social media has a has a, a lot of positives, but it has a huge amount of negatives. Yeah, it influences. It it drives. Uh, I think it drives a jealousy thing as well. You know, how many likes have you got? Who's your friend? Who's not? I weren't at that party. Um, uh, they can look at whatever they want. Uh, I, I'm talking about kids of two and three as well. I mean, every one of my children, my grandchildren, besides. Um, who's Harry, who's 18 months, they've all got a device that they can turn on and play a game on it or, or, or look at something. So I think that influences... It, I think time is very important. We don't seem to allocate our time well. We seem to spend a lot of time in front of the the phone or the, or the laptop or, or whatever we've got. A majority of that time just just reading and, 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 and it becomes a world that I think it takes away... That, that old that old romantic feel of maybe writing a letter or going to visit someone. The, 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 the upside is it, I can phone up America or Canada and, and we're here, you're in the next room. And there's information there. I think the, the culture of fathers, especially in London, and this is not a criticism, or maybe there's a lot of places, there's a lot of fatherless kids. There's a lot of children who don't have fathers. Uh, the 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 drug taking in 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 the big cities in, in the flats and the council places not even in there in fact everywhere it's pretty cool to take drugs so they think yeah it I think it's easy to access it's not hard with nowadays it was a, a lot different I believe so there's that there there's a lot of um, and this is not about immigrants coming into the countries and things like that it's, it's not about that I mean that just goes to show how crazy the world's become but if you walk down Oxford Street which is one of the main streets in London um, there's thousands of people asleep on the floor yeah and you think my god uh, and I think some of them like living there to be honest with you whatever created that I don't know but I think the more I think it's, it's become a dark age in 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 the wars in in, in Ukraine in in Syria in, in, in wherever 
you know, Afghanistan, and, 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 and it just goes on, and we're, and we're robotic. Oh yeah, okay, then. oh yeah, let, let's all let's all raise some money for a week. Uh, a year later, they're still getting smashed to pieces, and it's an acceptance. We're brainwashed. Um, I, I think values of old have gone. Yeah, values of that's old. That's kind have of gone. what I was getting at. Like, what is? I mean. What is honoring thy mother and father was a big thing when we were young. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I, I, how do how do you think? I know you you kind of counsel a lot of people in the prison community. What do you think happens to a person when they don't have a father? Because is 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 it that the father's the moderating influence? Is it that the father is sort of the staple? Is it that there's an element of masculinity? that uh, creates order what, what do you think it is that that causes because it, it's well documented the lack of a father in the household leads to a lot of negative i think it's 70 percent of people under the age of 20 that are in prison and they don't have a father oh, there you go so I, I i think we're when you're one and you go to three you've learned to walk you've got your milk teeth and you've started to say mum and dad and you've learned to stop shitting in your nappy, and you're eating solid foods, and th- so that's th- th- that happens naturally to every single one of us. So it's it, it, it's the nature of our body, yeah. And then that gets to five, six, and we grow like that, you know. We grow, and all of a sudden, there's something inside of us that responds to the love of the father. There's something inside of us that wants to suck our mother's breast. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There's something inside of us that wants to love our mum and, and protect our mum. We don't we don't guess it. We get it. We, it, we, it. It's like nature's growth of the human being, and it becomes dysfunctional with so many things. But I think sometimes kids not having a father ain't such a bad thing if the father's a lunatic. But on the whole, on the whole, I think the guidance of the father is massive. I know what it's like when I leave my dog. She's very dependent. You know, she looks up to me. I feed her and love her. And I, I, I even know when I'm not around, I might go out for two hours, I come back, and you'd think I've been gone for years. And, and it's the same with my children. They really look up to authority. And I think they're working it out as well. And then they get to a certain age and they think, oh, you're just, you're just me dad now. <laughs> you know, but before you was that, you was that, oh, no, do this, do that. Uh, you know, I'll try and guide or, or help or love. And I think society is so geared up for, let's say, fashion, drugs, dance, nothing wrong with any of them. It's up to every individual. But it seems like the be end and end all. And I think then we're getting this sort of wave of people start, I've heard people start taking the, the psychedelic mushrooms again, but at a level that doesn't get them really out of it. And they're getting in touch with with like trees and uh, and colours, and it's not sort of... You know, it's not like taking acid. And so this conversation, and it's everyone's trying these different things to try and work out what the truth of the matter is. Yeah. Is there really? The truth of the matter is we have to find love again. Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day who was around your age, and they said to me that one of the things they didn't bargain for in their 60s is realize, they didn't realize how youth obsessed our culture is. And how their opinions yeah. would be discarded, and you know, you know, in Asia, 
you know, the elders are have so much there's so much respect for the elders, right? It's that's who you go to. They have the most life experience. They have the most lessons for you. They pass down traditions, stories, etc. But uh, sort of in North American culture, particularly, we're so youth obsessed, right? You know, you're 42 in the music business and you're too old. And 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 I think it does us a big disservice. But for you getting older, what is what's it like getting older? Do you do you feel that feeling of invisibility coming through? Do you feel like uh, you're not as relevant anymore? Is is it something that you struggle with? Uh, the irrelevant bit is is um, is quite important actually, uh, because I've actually come from a recovery place in my mind, body, and soul in front of my children as well. There was a lot of disaster that went on, getting out of the criminal world. To uh, seriously, it was a huge amount of disaster. So. My ego felt, oh dear, I haven't got that this or I haven't got that no more. So I overcompensated of of, of my being a dad. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to do, and, and in the end, they went, oh, why don't you shut up? And they become adults. But where I'm relevant now, and it's very, very important to me, if, if any of my children needed anything, I'd be the first person they'd call because right. of my ability to sort of maneuver, let's just say. Yeah, but my 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 position now is is a grandfather, and I'm a, I'm a young grandfather. I don't I don't think I'm an old grandfather, but I find that very relevant, and and, and I've I've missed the gener I've missed the kids. They're, they've grown. They've, they've gone. I love them dearly. They're dear friends of mine. My daughters, but but the the relevance for me today is is my grandchildren, and I, and I relish in it, and it, it keeps me alive. How do you hope they remember you when you pass on? How do I look? Sorry. How do you hope they remember you when you pass on? Uh, as Pat, they call me Pappy. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I mean the impact. Two granddaughters. The impact you've sorry? had on their life. Like, how do you, how do you want to be remembered Massive. by, by them? You know, your legacy. Um, What's your story of your life? Uh, well, I, I, I'll explain that. So. A little while ago, I was out in southern Spain with two of my granddaughters. One lives here, one lives there. And and they've been they've gone to nice schools, private schools. Well, one of them speaks Mandarin. They're very bright. Not that, They're bright. And they're, they're very amusing. And they've been brought up by my children. So so there's one or two little things going on there. So we was in the car in Spain. And my, 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 my granddaughter, Grace, says to me, Oh, okay, Pappy, in a rather sort of nice, sort of elegant voice. Well, okay, Pappy, she was a drug dealer. So I said, I wasn't a drug dealer. She said, well, well what was your Pappy? So I said, I, I was a drug smuggler. She said, well, if you didn't smuggle, there wouldn't be dealers, Pappy. So I thought, oh, she's got me there. So she said, then you found God. This is what she said to me. I said, yeah. She said, well, I think that's rather cool. That you don't smuggle drugs drugs no more, and you believe in something that's wonderful. So I'm proud of you, Pappy. Well, it, it, it was it was a million dollars. It was it was everything, it, and it moved me and it touched me. Whereas I never used to let things. You know, I was so hardened to, to my world, and, and it was an emotion. It was a it was a communication without saying nothing. Uh, and uh, one second, oh, sugar. You getting a call or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm no. sorry. I'm sorry about that. 
Oh, make it funnier. And, and so that's my relevance. And, and I have a value to them. So they re- I want them to remember their pappy as someone who really loved them unconditionally. And they love me unconditionally. You know, no heart, you know, wonderful. And, and, and it's a reality. Plus, you know, the, it's not the main, main, the main drug dealer is Pfizer. <laughs> so. Absolutely. <laughs> and you see, you see what they own, see what they do, see what they manipulate. I mean, you didn't pay see $4 billion kill. in fines, right? So, I mean, uh, let, let's have a look at that COVID. Oh, <laughs> oh don't get me started, Michael. I'll be here for no, an no, hour. No, no, no. But you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, I've got a great, I've got a great friend of mine who leads all the COVID marches in London. In fact, he was here earlier, and he's he, he's his conspiracy is times a thousand. And I have to say, Jim, shut. It goes on, but but he, <laughs> you know he he has a. He, he, he has one or two clues about it and what he thinks is, you know, corrupt. I, I would say that, I mean, conspiracy theorists is a term used by the CIA to discredit people that didn't want to buy the mainstream narrative. They do go a little kooky. I would fancy myself a little bit of one, but, you know, it's connecting dots and, and realizing, you know, aligned yeah. interest, how the money flows, the, how the information flows, propaganda, stuff like that. They do get a little crazy, but... Um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, over the years I will say that, you know, the people that they told me were crazy weren't as crazy as I was led to believe. They were simply cast That's from so society good. because they challenged a yeah. billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry. So once you reverse that conditioning, you can kind of see the world in a different place. Um, but yeah. anyways, I don't want to go into COVID so uh, too much because I've done it for what two years on this show. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. that's okay. Well, come away from COVID. Then. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Chip, did you have any la- last questions for him? I had a weird question. Oh, uh, here we go. It's it's a super weird question. Oh, I, I, like I, I apologize too. if if it's weird uh, too weird. Please don't apologize. Um, uh, I I heard on one of the podcasts two years three years ago I guess uh, you were talking about some. You were talking about your sexual abuse story, and uh, you said like yeah. there was something that the woman taught you to do, uh, which was like super pleasurable. And I really wanted to know what that thing is. If you could like don't mind well, on, on air. I mean, if you like, we can mute it, maybe. But I want to know though. I mean, I, I'm not going to explain that. <laughs> but it's just how she done it in a sensitive way. I'm glad. Use a gerbil. In fact, you made me laugh about it. I quite like that. That's really off key. I love it. That's, he's, a, he's as mad as me. That's listen, fantastic. Listen, there's, that. Always, there's always a silver lining to every yeah. sort of drama, I guess. I guess no, thank of... you. No, uh, that's great. That's brilliant. Uh, do you know what happened? I went into denial. Yeah, and it wasn't until I unwrapped it in therapy, the reasons why I had my affairs. I was copying the, I was copying the copy in the behaviour, because the affair I had was with someone that was very close to home, very dangerous, and that's what the abuse was like, because it happened, mm-hmm. you know, close to people. No one knew, and that's what the exciting thing was, and the way that she used to sort of what she used to do to me, it was a. And I copied the way she done it, and then realised one day I thought, my God, that's what I, I, that's what she done. Oh, and I'm talking yeah. about only up to about ten years ago. I realised that. Oh, 
shit. Yeah. I do the spiral. You know that they know it the spiral? Spiral. What? I, sp- I spiral oh, like, like the head of the you. penis. I do the little spiral. Once you start with the spiral, you can't go back. So maybe that's what he's alluding to. <laughs> I've been spiraling for, I don't know, 25 years? Really? Yeah, I love a good spiral. <laughs> I'm going to have to try that. You don't need to tell us the this, the details, Michael. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. But it was just a thing that I copied and... So, you know, there again, six years of age, it influenced me to I was about 40. Mm. How about that? And not even realising that's where it came from. Mm. And then one day I thought, oh, my God. It's a legacy. You know? Yeah. The legacy of wanking. <laughs> if you if you could do it all that, that's broke that's been broken yeah that's, that's good um if you could do it all again your life and, and the craziness of your life would you change any of it yeah interesting yeah. a lot of people say the opposite I, I i never trust people who i'll meet them and they'll say i have no regrets in life and i'm like first of all look at your oh, husband, got husband. look at what look at what you're wearing look at your husband look at your job i mean come on mm. but don't my you, biggest regret was i didn't learn to love myself Mm. Mm. That's my biggest regret. How do you, you know, young people ask me that all the time. They say, you know, you seem confident. You seem like you're comfortable with yourself. How do you, how do you get there? Like, you know, I, I tell them basically that confidence comes from, you know, self-esteem comes from esteemable acts, right? So, yeah. you know, people say yeah. I have no confidence in the, and they're 22. And the question is, well, what do you have to be confident about? What have you, uh, you know, have you got, beat the insurmountable have you found a passion have you mastered a skill what do you have to be confident about what do you feel like for young people if they say you know i need to learn how to love myself what is the first step to getting to a place of self-acceptance if we identify that there's a there's a gremlin got in you can tell it with kids at a very young age i think they 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 need to be you know, it needs to be spoken about. You need to open up. My, my youngest grandson got thrown into a Spanish school at the age of four. And he's, 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 his brother and sister went to private school. My daughter said, I'm going to stick him in this Spanish school at four. Yeah, maybe three or three or four. He's now five or six. You know, you know he speaks Spanish. So he's absorbed and that's made him confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's important, teaching things. And being open with kids, you know, one of the things that I think my children get a bit funny with me about, I'm very open with my grandchildren and I talk about issues when I spot things in them and they go, oh, they don't understand that. And they're the things I pray about as well. And then I think allowing someone to be themselves, even with dysfunctional characters, yeah, allowing people to understand, you know, that they're a human being and to be grateful even to wake up in the mornings, you know. So I think teaching young kids gratitude, and I think we should teach our children to give give things away, you know, learn to give, you know, uh, in in a sort of generous way. You know, at Christmas I say, give one of your presents away. I say, say, give something away. And I think think growing up people should understand about the disabilities of people. I think they should go and feed the homeless. I think they should be taken into prisons. And I think to grow someone in confidence is to let them realise that enough, they're enough. That's their, their opinion of it is enough. And I think confidence comes from love. 
Yeah. Well, listen, there's people, that get to, there's people that get to 80 and don't have any of those things, right? They don't have the self concept. They don't have any of that. So, yeah. All right. Well, Michael, this has been uh, really fantastic. So the book's called, I, I butchered it in the beginning, but it's called Sins of Fathers. You can yeah. get it on Amazon if you believe in supporting that monopoly, which I do occasionally <laughs> because they ship very fast. But uh, I yeah. assume you can get it everywhere. And then did you do an audio book as well? Yeah, there's an audio book you can get. So you can listen to that's my voice. It's a, it's a very unusual sort of story. No, I mean, I, I'm going to check it out. I'm going on a, a trip, so I'm going to check doing? it out. Yeah. Well, thank I've you. I've enjoyed you too. <laughs> my <laughs> God, have I enjoyed. Please invite me back one day. Okay, no, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, the book is Sins of Fathers, uh, subtitle A Spectacular Break from a Criminal Dark Past. This has been a pleasure, and we'll, uh, we'll air this on... And follow us on social media, Michael Emmett Official, if they want. Okay. Yes. But don't ask him for the secret, you yeah. perverts. No, no, there's no secrets given away on the social media. <laughs> <place. Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> All right, there's man. an inbox for that, a private inbox. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Awesome. Bless Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Michael. Bye-bye. Take Thank care. You.